Harrison Ford happened to be there. Somebody introduced me to him. And I talked to him for 20 minutes about Blade Runner, which was the highlight of my evening slash life. And I was like, so with the voiceover, did you phone it in? Because, you know, people speculate this. Son, I think you know more about this film than I do. (laughs) This Week in Startups is brought to you by Microsoft for Startups Founders Hub. For the challenges you face as a startup founder, Microsoft for Startups Founders Hub is here to help. The platform provides founders with free resources like Azure credits, development tools like GitHub, mentorship resources, productivity software, training, and so much more. The program is open to all and takes five minutes to apply with no funding required. Learn more and sign up at aka.ms slash this week in startups assure is the leading provider of special purpose vehicles and fund administration with over 5,000 completed transactions and 2.5 billion dollars under administration twist listeners can get 20 percent off their first spv at assure.co slash twist that's assure.co slash twist and micro acquire the startup acquisition marketplace Start the right acquisition conversations at your own pace. Get free and instant access to over 100,000 trusted buyers with total anonymity. Say goodbye to brokers and meet your ideal buyer today. Go to try.microacquire.com slash twist. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of This Week in Startups. Back from her triumphant vacation. She took some time off. She went to incredible locations like the dying, decrepit, poisoned uh, <laughs> salt and sea, uh, incredible world tour. She's back, the Oracle of Oakland, our dame from the podcasting hall of fame. Yes, the queen of green, Molly Wood. Welcome back oh, to the program. My God, I get my very own all in style hype intro. Absolutely. Hype intros are coming for everybody. You have made my <laughs> entire month, year. That's outstanding. That's why I was smiling because I knew you'd get... A kick out of it because I was like, you know what, Molly deserves one. I'm gonna, I'm gonna workshop one. So thanks to Nick for workshopping with me. Damn, I'm, I'm particularly proud of the Dame from the Podcasting the Hall Dame of from Fame. The Podcasting Hall of Fame has been. I'm like, I'm blushing a little bit. Like that was huge for me. It was huge, man. I Thank just, you. if everybody could help me though, I just, <laughs> I've done three weeks of these <laughs> intros at all. I know, in. Like, how long can you keep that up? Now, because that's amazing. I can't keep it up. There's no way I can keep it up. But if people can give me DMs open, send me one liners. Basically, here's how you make the intro. You find something in the orbit of somebody, you know, like if I'm breaking chops with sacks that he's into Tucker, you know, they just got to get a worm, word or two that rhymes with Tucker and then you start workshopping it in your brain. Mm-hmm. Like he's a sucker for Tucker, you know? Yeah, no, I, I get it. I get it. That I went one, to a different word, obviously. He's friends with that ever. <laughs> <laughs> that's good i might use that one again actually nick you got that e already on the all-in podcast you might as well just go for it uh just we do have an explicit there i uh oh j cal god uh, bars look at him go people are losing their minds in the comments about this and i'm just like i can't keep it up um it's literally but i give nick a lot of credit producer nick came up with sasshole for sass. Oh, he did yeah, that, I think that Bravo, was all Nick. Nick. And I, 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 or, I, I don't know, because I asked the producers to put a couple notes in for me. And, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, like, you know, with comedy and most of them fall flat. But that one, that was the, that was, that was the, a good split one. the arrow with that one. All right, we got a, a lot of news today. Uh, so I, I guess. Oh. Yeah. Okay, let's oh, just God. acknowledge up front. Yes, please. This is awkward for Jason. Well, and I am not going to push you. Yeah, well, I mean, I, 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 your I handled instinct. you a little bit the last time we talked about okay. this, and I won't because I know it's a it's tough just complicated. Spot to you know, complicated. like if your f- best friends, mm-hmm. I have like three or four best friends who are in the news a lot, and it just makes it hard for me to comment on stuff, especially. And th- we can leave this in the show. I, I give the disclaimer all the time. You know, like if Travis or Elon or you know whoever are in the news. Sometimes I can or can't comment on it because I'm friends with them. And then what happens is I become this backdoor proxy. So like last week, I got asked to be on 20 different news programs, not to talk about the work I'm doing in the world. Yeah. But to talk about, you know, you know, whatever Elon's doing. And and that's fine. I understand. Um, And I will 
go to bat, you know, my general philosophy is if like they're getting beat up in the press about something like in the old days, I would go to bat for them. Mm-hmm. Because there was nobody else and people didn't even know the company. So when you see old clips of me defending Tesla, like, hey, we should have green cars or defending Uber, hey, Travis is going to figure it out. That's a kind of a different moment than now when people have arrived. And so let's get right into it. Obviously, yep. uh, people know that Elon uh, has a position in Twitter uh, and was going to join the board and Parag uh, Agarwal. Agarwal. Mm-hmm. Argo, I got it right. Okay, thank God. I mean, it's mm-hmm. so weird with my dyslexia. Argo, I sometimes I just nail the hard ones, and then I get like Jones wrong. That's a hard like, one too, though. Jonas. That's like a rural juror. Like it's yeah. a hard. It's hard yeah. to put all those. Yeah. Anyway, Parag Argo, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. It's pretty. It's actually pretty easy for me. Yep. Okay. So Parag tweeted out this memo that he sent to the entire Twitter team, saying uh, that Elon Musk would not, in fact, be taking a board seat. So to get okay. you all caught up, and I'm sure you have been. Because you're all in our industry and have been paying attention to this nonstop, which even I was uh, while I was by the pool. Um, Pretty compelling. Elon Musk has taken this stake in Twitter, 9.2%. Uh, it sounded like he was going to join the board of Twitter. And then over the weekend, Parag sent this note saying, Elon Musk has decided not to join our board. I'm just going to read uh, some or all of this and then we'll discuss. Here's what I can share about what happened, Parag wrote. The board and I had many discussions about Elon joining the board and with Elon directly. We were excited to collaborate and clear about the risks. We also believed that having Elon as a fiduciary of the company where he, like all board members, has to act in the best interest of the company and all our shareholders was the best path forward. The board offered him a seat. We announced on Tuesday that Elon would be appointed to the board contingent on a background check and formal acceptance. Elon's appointment to the board was to become officially effective for nine. That was uh, Friday, I think. But Elon shared that same morning that he will no longer be joining the board. I believe this is for the best. We have and always will value input from our shareholders, whether they're on our board or not. Elon is our biggest shareholder and will remain open to his input. There will be distractions ahead, but our goals and priorities remain unchanged. The decisions we make and how to execute is in our hands, no one else's. Let's tune out the noise and stay focused on the work and what we're building. Yeah, so... um... I, you know, there's been a lot of speculation as to why this is I don't have inside information. Uh, so just to make that clear for the reaggregators, please don't reaggregate thing <laughs> I say. Um, well, so then, awkward. Add, well, no, adding to it is I went yeah. to the ta- the gigafactory opening because all my friends were there. And then somebody took video of me talking to Harrison Ford in the VIP. Harrison Ford happened to be there. Somebody introduced me to him. And I talked to him for 20 minutes about Blade Runner, which was the highlight of my evening slash life. And I was like, so with the voiceover, did you phone it in? Because, you know, people speculate this. Son, I think you know more about this film than I do. (laughs) And I was like, well, you should watch my show. I was like, well, tell me about really Scott. And I opened up by saying this. I just want to thank you for my childhood. Uh Like Mosquito Coast, Indiana Jones, Blade Runner, Star Wars. I said, you know, it's just, it's just amazing and and just thrilling to meet you. And I just want to say thank you because like a lot of the highlights of my childhood were, you know, around the the performances you gave. It's really true. Now you're making me feel old, Jake L. (laughs) 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 I'm working at a workshop in my Harrison Ford. You know, (laughs) son, son, I think you know more about this film than I do. (laughs) It was amazing. I asked him like, did you know you were a replicant? I was like, did you know you were a replicant in Blade Runner? And he says to me, you know, I told Riley Scott, don't tell me. I don't want to know. That's for you to decide. I want to do a detective movie. And I read the script. And they have voiceover in the script. And I want to show it through actions. And they want me to do voiceover. I was in it for a detective movie. It was was the greatest conversation. Yeah, and I'm talking to him. With me, Walter Isaacson, Harrison Ford are talking. Yeah. You know, and now it's getting on like 10 minutes, 15. And there is like a group of people trying to get to either of those two. Interests. And in all honesty, a couple people want to take a couple selfies with me. But, you know, Harrison Ford is the show. And so, you know, he doesn't want to stop talking to us because we're having like a great conversation about Ridley Scott, about film, about Tesla, about car. I mean, just everything is it, it a great moment. So here's uh, what I think. There is no greater product person or executive. And this is kind of obvious, just in terms of like experience and success than Elon at Twitter. And on a product basis, he uses Twitter more effectively than anyone at Twitter and probably knows the product as good or better. And so he as a way that he operates businesses talks about them. 
he does customer support in real time. So mm -hmm. whether you like his style or not, if you just look at it on a customer support in a product basis, let's just narrow on those two things, which is a big part of running a successful company is listening to your customers and building great products. He's better than anybody there, hands down. I mean, the guys, while this was all going down, the Gigafactory is the largest footprint building in the world. I, I believe in the United States for sure. I mean, this thing, Molly, when you look at it, like it, it took me 15, 20 minutes to walk to like that, you know, top level VIP area to like watch the, the presentations and everything. I mean, it's like a long, long, long building. It is crazy. Um, and then he also was taking people to the International Space Station <laughs> on a tourist thing. This is all in the same 48 hour period. So if you're on the board of a company like this, you can't talk about the product anymore. That's over. And so I don't know why he made the decision. I don't know Prague's decisions. I don't know the board's decision. I have no insight into anything. But for me, I'd rather see Elon talking about the product all day long. And there was a very vibrant discussion about the product this weekend, including Twitter Blue, which I have, and which is kind of not worth paying for. But I have talked for many years. In fact, I since 2007, 2008, I've been talking about, hey, the blue check mark should be something that anybody can pay for. And then people are like, well, well, then how would that affect journalists like us who have the blue check mark and we feel special about it or celebrities and we all know the history of the blue check mark. The blue check mark came because a lot of us had um, people faking and they just wanted to make sure you knew who was the real Ashton Kutcher. In fact, I think he was patient zero on the blue check mark. Mm. I'm actually sure of that, right? Yeah, I remember having conversations with Ev about it. And so I think those kind of discussions are where Elon can be most helpful. And the amount of attention that Twitter is getting now is huge. And I guess there's speculation that if he was on the board, he could only build a certain size position. Mm -hmm. And so again, I don't know anything. Right. Sincerely do not know anything. Don't reaggregate me. Um, but maybe he wants to own more. Or, you know, maybe he wants to talk about it. And so that's probably better for everybody. By some estimates, over 90% of startups will go out of business in year one. Don't I know it as an angel investor? That rings true to me. And that's why Microsoft created the Microsoft for Startups Founders Hub. This hub provides founders at any stage with up to six figures in resources. Wait until you hear about this ridiculous list of perks. You're going to get up to 150,000 in Azure credits based on your stage and size. You're going to get technology benefits like free access to GitHub's enterprise tier, technical advice from experts at Azure and Microsoft Cloud, super helpful, one-to-one -one mentorship from their mentor network, plus exclusive benefits and discounts from companies like OpenAI, huh? Very impressive. And the best part is there are no fundraising requirements, unlike others in the industry. <clears throat> the Microsoft for Startups Founders Hub doesn't require startups to be investor backed or third party validated to sign up for access benefits. No, it's open to everybody. It's truly open to any founder. Microsoft wants to support you and you will get that support whether you've been anointed by some special people or not. They care about all founders at Microsoft. It's not about who you know. It's about what you're building. That's what Microsoft cares about. Any founder at any stage can get up to six figures of value by signing up right now at aka.ms slash This Week in Startups. Once again, you're going to start up and start building today at aka.ms slash This Week in Startups. Go ahead and go there and get those credits. I don't know what your take on it is. There were, right. So there was this, there were, I mean... <laughs> There's obviously a lot of speculation yeah. about this um, sure. nonstop. There were tweets that were deleted over the weekend, which was interesting, right? There were a lot of tweets that that Elon made over the weekend uh, that were somewhat critical of Twitter. Mm. Like, nobody's at the headquarters, so we should turn it. There was a, as usual, yay, a boob joke. Um, mm. <laughs> <sighs> um, listen, I have the sense of humor of a 14-year-old boy myself, but like, yeah, I mean, you were doing the BDE jokes just two weeks tired. ago on the program, so you guys tired, might not be tired. that different. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> it's very possible that, Black. like, in private, we would have the same, but I don't make those jokes on Twitter. I only make you them You did make it on the pod, though. On podcast. Uh, just um, on the podcast. <laughs> anyway, there, so there were a lot of tweets that were deleted. Then there was, yes. like, you know, then there's the Kremlinology of, like, well, he liked this one tweet where somebody yes. said that he was told to be quiet and play nice mm. and he liked that. And then, of course, there was the speculation they may have decided not to take a board uh, seat because he may want to own more than, what is it, 14.9%, I think, is the max you can they, own 
as a director member. And so there were, I don't even know know where that comes from, that concept. And so I, that felt to me, I don't know, but I would like to get fact check on this, that that was just some agreement they came to that they picked some number that he could own as a board director. Yeah. But I wonder, oh, do you think it's exclusive to him? uh it could well it could be one of two things it could have been something they negotiated with him it could Mm -hmm. be something that's in the charter of the company that you know independent board directors or board directors will only own up to this amount without consulting with the board you know it could be like um not a poison pill but like a little bit of a circuit breaker if you're Mm -hmm. going to accumulate more just let us know kind of situation or get approval so i don't think anybody knows exactly where that comes from but it would be good for to get some clarity on that obviously Yeah. But one of the things that's interesting about Twitter, and this goes to governance, which we talk about on this program all the time, because we're early stage investors, is unlike the New York Times, or Facebook, uh, which have very strong owner control, like mm-hmm. the New York Times is basically a private company that acts as a public company with Salzburger, Salzburger, Salzburgers control that company. And then like, some Mexican billionaire bought I forgot his name, Carlos. Um, Carlos, oh, yeah, come to come us on. anyway. Yeah, uh, he bought a ton of it, Slim. but he has no say. Right, it's like totally. congrats, so it's like a faux public company. And then you look at Facebook; that's kind of another faux public company where, like, Zuckerberg's kids, grandkids, great grandkids, like seventeen generations from now, will still control the company. It's it's kind of weird that you get to be public and then also get to be controlled like a private company. I always felt that was weird. Like, I don't mm-hmm. know if we should allow that you know or I maybe mean, in it's theory no we definitely should not there should be like anyway well, um, anyway i mean but, it's, it's, but it's sort twitter of like a hybrid, is not right? like that and twitter we is not like that so it's here's almost the like thing. a dow when it comes to the well it's, it's just like it's like the united states of america there's 300 million plus people and 270 million were adults is theoretically 270 million votes twitter has some number of votes and so right. for people who are complaining on the left or the far left or whoever like Start a group and buy a billion. It's not that hard for, you know, uh, people who have track records to pull together a billion or $2 billion as a consortium and buy a piece of this, right? There's plenty of people who are capable of doing that who maybe, you know, are on different parts of the political spectrum, right? George Soros and other people buy all the time like Mm -hmm. this. So that's Mm. one of the interesting things I find about Mm. Twitter is it's a it's one of the only public platforms that you could actually vote with your dollar on. I have so many thoughts about this idea that it's relatively easy for somebody to put together a consortium of a couple billion dollars to invest in Twitter, which is like only barely makes money. Like, I don't know about that, right? There are not that oh, uh, that's the New York Times not. could the New York Times could put together a billion dollars tomorrow. They could just go to their bankers and put together a billion and buy some of it. They could buy three or four percent of it. There is a version in which there could be a bidding war for Twitter shares, and that would be pretty interesting. Right. Like it would be interesting if somebody was like, I'm concerned about this existential threat that, you know, Elon Musk's ownership in Twitter represents for the public square. And so I'm going to like buy an equal and opposite number of shares, either via a DAO or with. Or I'm with not saying civilians can do it. I don't yeah, know. I'm, not, I'm not saying like the, you know, right. The, okay. A civilian civilians can, can do it. I'm talking about people of means. There yeah. are tons of them across the spectrum and, and they could buy different tr- and, and they have right so people with different i mean and corporations with different political leanings yeah, could buy totally. portions of it and it, i think actually that's that's a potential outcome here i mean um, that would be super interesting because it because it look we have no idea i, I this is what part of what makes this so awkward is because there's only one person in there uh, like there's a handful of people in the world who might be able to understand what elon is thinking about this and weirdly you're one of them and like you're really <laughs> good at but so no, so no one knows. Let's just let's just keep it I simple. I think you take Elon. No what I would say is, I think you can take Elon as his word here. Elon, you probably take Elon at his word. He thinks it's important. He said it's a public square. Mm-hmm. He said freedom of speech is important. I think you take him at his word. And he thinks the product is is broken, right? Or needs. Well, we help. all think the product could be better. He's he so. asked at one point. I think if if Twitter was dying, since many of the most followed accounts, I thought that was a good tweet little, actually, and I, I responded does. to it. Like they really have not thought about justin bieber at all right they haven't thought about Katy perry and those kind of people i think he name checked both of them and you know if you look at those two anyway swift look at tiktok Mm -hmm. i responded with a tiktok screenshot and i was like look tiktok puts bieber's tracks right on his profile if twitter was like run properly over the years and it has not been run properly ever i mean that's why i completely agree yeah Yeah, i mean that's that's why zuckerberg called it the clown car that (laughs) drove into a diamond mine like put merch 
on your profile page, put yeah. tracks on your profile page and let people sell their tickets. And all of a sudden, those people would be super engaged again. They could mm -hmm. make that in like a team of five developers and five product managers, it's just a SWAT team of 10, literally yeah. a million dollar team, that $2 million team, you get paid well there. $2 million team could build this in six months, and then iterate on it every three months. And they could be the best platform for musicians, with a team of 10 people and $2 million mm -hmm. a year, and that would generate you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue for those artists, and they would be there, but they're not being courted. If you're an accredited investor, you need to know about special purpose vehicles. So what is an SPV? Well, it's an investment vehicle that allows up to 250 investors to invest up to $10 million by one entity on a cap table. So if you're an angel investor and you got a bunch of rich friends like I do, you could start your own syndicate and power it through an SPV. Here at Launch, we love working with the team out of Shore. They power all of my syndicates, which is the largest one in the world, with over 10,000 members, and we've done hundreds of deals. Ashore is the leading providers of SPVs and fund administration with over $2.5 billion in AUA, assets under administration. And they've done over 5,000 completed transactions. And they've developed an innovative software program called Glassboard. This automates the entire investment experience from entity formation all the way to an IPO. Ashley and Heidi on my team who manage the syndicate.com love the interface and use it every single day. And not only do investors love it, but founders love it as well because it keeps their cap tables nice and clean. No messy party rounds over here. No, they also manage the entire process over the life of the investment. So to get 20% off your first special purpose vehicle SPV, I want you to visit assure.co slash twist. That's a s s u r e dot c o slash t w i s t to get 20% off your first SPV. I mean, it is interesting. Like, I think it's worth looking at why Twitter might be dying. Like, I still use Twitter a fair amount. But yes. my usage has, has certainly declined. And because so, so I was listening uh, harassment because it's not, or yeah, because oh, it's that's not interesting, yeah. fun, right? So I was listening to the all in podcast and, and obviously yeah. like a whole lot of the conversations around this involve this concept of free speech. And, you know, I always roll my eyes when people call it that because yeah. censorship is a tool of government, not private companies. Um, but also... I was thinking about why there, the I have this reflexive response and many people I know have this reflexive response. And it's because for women yep. and women of color and people from marginalized groups, the speech on Twitter has never been free, right? It has always come yeah, you get at brigaded. a high cost. You get brigaded, you get yelled. Like I have long since censored myself mm. on Twitter because yes. it sucks to be yeah. on Twitter if you got more than, uh, you know, 20,000 followers and you're a lady. And so yeah. this idea that like, <laughs> that like the, the rich white guys who are left just discovered that sometimes it's not that fun to be on Twitter and they want yeah. more free speech. And, and a lot of the speech they seem to be advocating for is disinformation or harassment. It's like, well, no, I don't think anybody's I don't, I, in fairness, I don't think anybody's advocating for that. I think it's more like, I, I think COVID-19 was a big trigger for folks. Um, and like the blocking of the New York Post, I know for Sachs, like that was a big one. But, you know, when you give them the examples of, and I think Trump was a big one for some people. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think, you know, the Trump one, I had, I did not want to see Trump get banned as president because I thought it was important that the president be on there. But when he gave them the easy, like, I'm causing a riot and people are going to die. I wouldn't have done a lifetime ban. I would have done um, doubling bans every time he does something. So it was like, it was a one year ban. And then he does it again. Now it's a three year ban. You know, kind of like how the justice system works. So anyway, that's just like a nuance. Um, but I, I understand your point. Like yeah. it's a different experience. But you know, they added that feature where you can have only your people can reply. Sure, Do you yeah. use that feature? I'm curious. Because I, I, I used started some using it. Of it. I don't think I use the version where only people who follow me can reply. Uh, I mean, my Twitter. Look, I am very lucky. Also, my Twitter's not that bad. Like, yours is really bad, not. Yes, and I don't know yes. if it's if it's you know. I don't think it's mean. It's probably because I have spent a long time censoring myself and being a lot nicer on Twitter. And also I'm a very aggressive blocker, not yeah. Andreessen level blocker, but you know, uh, like I'm on like, a scale of one to Mark Andreessen you're like a seven. <laughs> is optional for me. Like I don't have yeah. to listen to this and I block, but anyway, I guess all I'm saying is like Twitter probably is dying because as a product, it, there's very little upside. 
like you can get attention, you can build a brand, but it's mostly sort of like journalists and people who like to fight with each other, which actually leads quite nicely into our next story. Mm. Because what it really comes down to is like, what is Twitter for? Mm. Who is Twitter for? And what would make it work best? It's a full contact platform, right? I mean, it be, just the nature of how it's designed that anybody on the platform can respond to anybody mm-hmm. is like hugely. And this was Ev's and Jack's original vision that it was the most open platform. So right. if you were a celebrity, if you were a politician, you had you couldn't control your own replies. So you choose this, you got to answer to everybody. It's, all, mm-hmm. it's like you can't just like speak to your constituents. Although they did add that feature, which I just talked about, like only allow my followers or people I follow to comment. So they did eventually add that. But that was the antithesis of what Jack and Ev and Biz wanted in the beginning. They were mm-hmm. very clear. You want to be on this platform, you got to answer to everybody. We're you're celebrities, politicians, journalists, sports figures. This is the open platform. You don't get to delete when people reply to you. You could report, but they did actually let you hide replies now. <laughs> so right. they actually did right. wind up adding those features. I just don't think people use them liberally. Um, right. But I anyway, think, I think this, yeah. I, I agree. I think people don't yeah. use them liberally. I, I, you know, I like we talk all the time about the evolution of these platforms in a way that sort of follows what society does. Like there's just mm. only so much that you can say whatever you want to people or yep. create bots to brigade them or, mm. you know, pass the around information is, that causes real world harm. Right? This is like, a, I think the real world a, harm thing is real. I think this is like one of your, your good insights here is like if and I, and I think actually Elon's talked about this a lot about like all the crypto people crypto scams and all the fake accounts that put like a, a blue, you know, whatever icon next to their names and try to get people to send ETH or whatever Ethereum. Mm-hmm. And YouTube has that problem too. all these fake accounts like they, there's like a there was a 24 hour Chamath channel for a while trying to get people to send Bitcoin to a wallet that was supposedly Chamath. Um, mm. Yeah, all that bot problem could be easily solved. And I think Twitter is like technically incompetent and just doesn't solve that problem here's an idea like if you were paying for the service as if you paid for the vip level of a service like i have five hundred thousand, you have two hundred thousand, he's got 70 million like for people with over a hundred thousand you pay a thousand dollars a year for like vip service for people over a million you pay five thousand a year whatever it is like some if you choose that could get you vip customer support where you can literally call somebody on the phone and say listen if look at my replies where you can email somebody, hey, can you look at my replies as somebody's pretending to be me? And they're like, okay, yeah, well, we'll delete that account right now. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thanks for calling, Molly. Or you say, hey, listen, I'm being harassed. You email your customer support rep. Hey, listen, there's somebody who's been harassing me. Feels like there's a bot army. And then they're like, yeah, okay, we're going to neuter that bot army. Like, how amazing would that be if they turned the biggest problem into a profit center? <laughs> you know, like, it, it would actually be I mean, kind of a, cool. To be fair, although that is a lovely product idea that i would happily pay for that would take it yeah. even farther away from the idea of the public square it would just the be town if square if if indeed we buy the idea that that's what twitter is which is some sort of a town square where like ideas are exchanged and it should be as free as possible and everybody's an equal yeah. because you can't pay you can't buy your way out of the misery right no no Everybody you could pay you could pay it would just be a sliding scale so if well, you sure, have 10,000 people not the town square yeah, but it, this isn't a this is like if you go to the town square and you want to, you know, order a glass of champagne <laughs> from the restaurant that's on the town square, you could sit. We don't like the town square we want to create. But that's what I'm saying. That's yes. society. What you're describing is society. Yes. Right. A yes. big, messy town square where everybody's equal and accountable to all the same people and nobody can buy their way out of that experience. That's yeah. not what society wants. That no. never. Like, no, no. People do not want to wait in line. They want to have a <laughs> VIP line at the DMV. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Everybody eventually wants a VIP line. So if Twitter totally. is going to become a better product, it's going to become less of a town square. Yeah. I mean, it, it'll have town square like, you know, features. Uh, mm-hmm. But I thought this New York Times, um, is, which is a great segue. Why don't we segue into that for a moment? Let's because this that, yeah. is also super telling. Mm hmm. So, so many people on Twitter are journalists that I, it's funny, actually, because like mm, seven or eight years ago, maybe I uh, ran out of time to do it. But I was like, I am going to get Marty Baron and Dean Bacay and the whoever was in at the Washington or was at the journal. Marty Baron was the post. Anyway, the top Baker, editors, top Baker, CEOs, whatever. Right? And I was going to be like, you need to come to my panel at South by Southwest and you need to explain to me why you're allowing your journalists on Twitter because Twitter yeah. has become the assignment desk for the mainstream media. And that is terrible. Yeah. 
Yeah. And now here comes Dean Bacay, who just yes. woke up out of his, uh, you know, decade long coma and was like, whoa, this is kind of a mess. Micro Acquire is a startup acquisition marketplace that cuts out everyone in the middle. Basically, this means they help a startup get acquired super efficiently. Yes, if you're a founder looking to sell, Micro Acquire is free, it's private, and nobody is going to get into the middle of your deal and insert their motivations, which might not be in your best interest to date while they've helped hundreds of startups get acquired. I kid you not. And they've facilitated hundreds of millions of dollars in closed deal volume. Their platform includes over 120,000 buyers that pay $390 a year for a subscription. And thousands of startups currently are listed for sale at Micro Acquire. They've had hundreds of successful acquisitions so far. So founders can get free access instantly to over 120,000 trusted buyers and you're going to stay totally anonymous. On the other side of the marketplace, again, buyers are paying that $390 a year so you know they're serious. Micro Acquire will help you find a buyer for your startup. It's as simple as that. Buyers can browse listings for free and the platform is totally free for sellers. Sign up for a premium subscription right now for just $390 a year to access all these great deals at try.com microacquire.com slash twist once again try dot micro m i c r o acquire.com slash twist the new york times has told its reporters to stop tweeting so much after by the way really creating an environment in which if you were not on twitter you could not get hired as a new journalist like they no were way. hiring people based on follower count let's they be were honest. hiring people based on follower account without question because they're star makers and they want people to come in with a brand they want traffic. It's a traffic based. They want traffic. Or I should say it was a traffic based business. It was. So that's actually, that may actually be the nuance here. So now reporters can still be on Twitter, but are encouraged to quote, meaningfully reduce how mm. much time you're spending on the platform, mm. tweeting or scrolling in relation mm. to other parts of your job, according to Dean McKay. Dean McKay. So tweet less, tweet more thoughtfully, and devote more time to reporting. I'm sorry, reporting? Can you define that? What is that exactly? Does that, does that mean retweets? Um, are retweets reporting people, or liking? <laughs> Building well, a mean, list, is that reporting? Call people who are not on Twitter and find out what the actual story is. Well, mm -hmm. What about uh, the trending topics? That's reporting? If you go to trending topics and you pick the number six, seven, eight, one and that appeals you to your sensibility and you write exactly. a story based on that, that's, that's the real world? Mm -hmm. I mean, this goes back to the Chappelle quote. Twitter's not the real world. That's your point as well, isn't it? Yeah. Twitter is not the real world. Um, the push Far to have reporters it. tweet less. And, and again, we're sort of reporting this somewhat credul credulously as though the New York Times itself had not just gotten caught up in a scandal in which a departing reporter accused it of trying to stifle individual brands and creativity. And then Taylor Lorenz, like, Taylor Lorenz, and then Maggie Haberman, who nobody really realizes this. She's legacy at the New York Times, like her mm. father was a legendary New York Times reporter, one of the people who helped build the place, right? So she is a grandfathered in access reporter who will never not be a star. Define access reporter for Times. people who don't understand access journalism. So access journalism is the idea that you, the stories that you break, you are able to break a lot of news because you've cultivated a whole series of sources who will tell you stuff. You have access to them. As a result, you don't burn that access. Mm. You just so don't. what's pernicious about that is what's pernicious about that is you never know if there's information that is being held back in the interest of preserving access. And most likely there is. So the and actually a classic example of this is when the books come out and the books contain information that was arguably in the public interest and could have been reported much sooner but it was saved for the book because they had all this great access and they didn't want to like blow it up. Got it. And so yeah. if you were to write the truth, hey, or the full truth, let's say they put 87% out that last 13%. If that were to make the subject perturbed, then you don't get them for the next story, which means you don't get the $500,000 or million dollar paycheck or whatever these access journalists are getting. Maybe you don't get the million dollar podcast deal. Maybe you don't have the million dollar conference deal maybe the, you know, $3 million book deal, all that stuff goes away if you don't mm -hmm. have access to the subjects. Mm -hmm. Exactly. When in mm. fact, a lot of times the subjects making the news, sure, a lot of them are politicians and a lot of them are people in the White House, but a lot of them are just 
people out in the world. There are great Business stories people. that you can tell without relying on yes. leaks. And because the access, the other downside of access journalism is you are most likely constantly being spun. Like, yes, you're I being a, worked. You're being worked. Yes. I actually had a rule on Marketplace Tech, which is that we very rarely interviewed companies. Mm. Like, I hardly ever had CEOs on. We almost Instead, never talked you would to talk companies. to who? We would talk to real people. Like, we would talk employees. to employees. We'd talk to employees or we would talk Customers. to customers. People actually, you know, on the receiving end of products. We talked to, to be fair, we talked to a fair number, like more than we should have of analysts and mm -hmm. um, academics. But analysts and academics may be trying to sell a book, but the mm -hmm. incentives are a little bit different from someone who's trying to build a company or spin a story politically, right? In the case of yeah. political access. Which journalism. is why when you'll hear me on this podcast, if somebody starts doing that meeting trading bullshit, I just tell them right up like, hey, yeah, no, I know you want to tell me the go cuff origin story. Just tell me the <laughs> margins because that's all anybody gives <laughs> about. Like, let's be honest here. Like, how the are you making this business work? Yeah. Like, what is the goddamn margin? How does it work? Because everybody out here is that's the question on everybody's mind. Like, yeah, we love the fact that you can get us a pack of, you know, gum and a six pack of beer and whatever we're ordering in 25 minutes. But we just want to know if you're going to be here next year, because everybody else who told us the same bullshit story is not here. Cosmo's not here. This isn't here. That's not here. Urban Fetch isn't here. I just love how like mad you are still about that. It's amazing. No, I just I find you know what but it is, is. I just no, hate it's totally these, true. I like, hate these media training people. I hate PR people with the exception of like two who I'm friendly with. They just yeah. constantly are like, here's what you do. It's not they, real. They ask you a question and then you may then we have this stump speech for you that makes you look really good. And if we keep telling it over and over again, just don't yeah. uh, here's the thing. If you're media trained and you you want to spin that book, just don't come on the show. I'll, we get Molly and I can talk about your business better with you not here if you're going to do the media training if you come here have a real goddamn conversation period end of story end of clip yeah. clip this send to the next pr person who tries to work us i mean that also everything you said is also why i never chased ceo interviews because like or did or very rarely and every time i had one it would be like a letdown because they're not especially the bigger the company god help me it's just boring it's that's just why terrible. you are a huge fan of the ceo's talk candidly and real on Twitter. <laughs> oh, bravo. Right, well played, to, sir. Well played. Oh, so we back go. to the New York Times. Back it, to the New York this, Times. We are taking at face value the idea that Vikay is worried that journalists are spending too much time on Twitter, that their perceptions might be warped by what they see there, this that thing? they're no longer yeah, part of the real world, which again, a decade uh, too late. And also, they just had this like absurd back and forth with Taylor Lorenz and other, you know, big name journalists, like essentially attacking her on Twitter. It's, it is probably just as much reputational damage that Bekay is trying to control for here as it is time mm. and a warped sense of reality. But the warped sense of reality on Twitter, I think, should be the basis of all of this. Like, it is not good journalism to be taking yes. to be getting outraged by stuff you see on Twitter and then turning that into outrageous stories. This is I think key point. If your goal is to tell the truth to the audience, then it's not you're not telling the truth if you're mitigating through the warped lens of social media. That is not reality. How people behave on Twitter uh is crazy and like you know it, the other thing that's damaging to the New York Times brand. So there's one is Okay, the input, your view of the world and what you're going to write, the input is up. Mm -hmm. Now, here's the other thing that gets totally screwed up is the perception of the paper over time. So Sarah Zhang, yeah, J-E-O-N-G. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I guess she's not part of the New York Times anymore. She they, they Remember when they brought her, her on, then somebody went through her tweets, mm -hmm. which is what happens every time. Mm -hmm. Let's look at your tweets. Now, if you been, if you were on Twitter, like in the 2008 to 2018 period, it was a chat room. It wasn't really like a people didn't know you were going to be like pulling their tweets and their job interviews. Uh, people were pretty loosey goosey. And she said like all kinds of crazy stuff like white men, this da, da, da. and whether she was joking or not, or, you know, I, I don't really care if people have like uh, cheeky opinions or their full contact. But for the New York Times, it just gave ammunition to critics. Every time she wrote something that she's anti this group, anti that group, super woke, whatever. Um, and I'm not just calling her out. This happens on the right as well. And it happens far right, far left. Right. Everybody's got some tweet, comedians, whatever, that didn't age well. 
And that's the problem is like, they, I think the paper wants to be respected for doing good work. So if you're got a warped view of reality, and then you're acting cheeky or crazy, or, you know, your comedy doesn't land because you're not Dave Chappelle, but you're trying to make jokes on Twitter, and it doesn't land and it offends mm -hmm. people. You're not in a comedy club. Right? The context right. matters. In a comedy club, you say a joke, people go, okay, it's a joke. It was good. It was bad. It's a one to 10. Okay, I laughed. I didn't. Let's go on to the next joke. On Twitter, they're like, is that a joke? Or do you actually hate white men? Or right. do you actually like to use, you know, this word that's not appropriate? Like, or, or do you use that word all the time? Is that like who you are? And yada, yada. So yeah, the, the, I mean, well, part of the, it is the, the perception of New York Times journalists is bad. Yes. And the, the, problem that the New York Times has is in having in wanting to have it both ways. They want this perception of gravitas and mm. journalism that's above the fray and ivory tower and actually listening to everybody. But they also want stars because mm. people click for stars. Yes. So they want to collect personalities and they want to collect them based on their like potentially outrageous tweets. What's so interesting about Sarah Jung is that they hired her took all the flack for that. And then I think when they fired her, it's because she tweeted about the oh, New she York fired? Times. Oh. She left. She left. Okay. <laughs> she left. The Times did not announce its departure or her departure from the editorial board in mm. August, but it happened after she tweeted about the New York Times, I think, or wait, no, that was in September. Hmm. She left in August. She is now a contracted contributor for New York Times opinion. The news regarding her status came hours after she raised eyebrows on Twitter over her response yeah, to a columnist for The Guardian who was urging against people canceling their subscriptions. And she said, oh, New York Times definitely pays attention to subscriber cancellations. One of the metrics for outrage that they use, she wrote, to distinguish between real outrage and superficial outrage was when people um, ah. canceled their subscriptions. And The New York Times was like, whoa, 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 whoa. You can tweet a lot of crazy stuff, but you can't put out our dirty laundry. <laughs> and now you're out. <laughs> that like, makes sense. They want it both yes. ways. And it's so dirty. And it's so, and it, and Taylor Lorenz is 100% right about the way the New York Times is a star picker, right? They're like, we've decided that you can be a star, but you cannot. And mm. we'll choose. And we mm. want that. And we want this, like, tons of attention. But yep. also, we want to be the most respected name in journalism. It's like, I'm sorry, like, you actually can't have all that. Mm. yeah uh it is a um it's a thing yeah it's officially a thing and i i, I think this is great for the new york times because mm -hmm. as people as someone who is highly addicted to twitter you know it's a couple hours a day of my life every day if you start adding it up it means they could file one more time a week it means they can get one more scoop every two weeks mm -hmm. uh you know you, you live by the gun you die by the gun is kind of one more actual person you know, talk to somebody on the phone. Yes. Talk to somebody on the phone. I did it. I did it like just and then I swear I'm going to stop dunking on the New York Times, but it <clears throat> I have history. Yeah. I, you work there. Yeah. I did the How We Survive podcast. Right. So yeah. one of the one of the people that we talked to. They did this like smooch, smoochy story mm. about this tribe that members of this tribe that were uh, opposing this mine and they were had teamed up with these like two white guys who were environmental activists. And the Times like quoted this guy like crazy and da da da. And they were like, we love him. And then I did a smooth five minute duck duck go and was like, huh, that guy actually is an environmental terrorist. <laughs> right? Like Oops. it took me five minutes on the internet to find out that he's a co-founder right. of a group that advocated for the end of industrial society as, a, as the only way to solve the climate crisis. And this was right. the guy who got the full billing in the New York he Times. He got the poll yes. quote. They quoted him, of course, over of course. the Native American woman who was representing her tribe and opposing. Like the reporting is objectively suffering. Objectively, it's obviously suffering. And, and you know, when know I took my because last Twitter, Twitter break, I finished yeah. my book, and then I finished twenty five percent of the new book, and I'm going to start my next one. I'm going to finish the book this summer. It's going to go summer to summer. Then, you know, I'll just take three months off and do like one tweet a day or whatever. And that'll yep. be my thing. Yeah. Speaking of Twitter. Speaking of Twitter, our favorite associate producer, Ryan Breslow. <laughs> Shout out to Ryan reporter. Breslow. Silicon <laughs> Associate producer of This Week in Startups. He blocked me. He was he like, did? I thought we were besties. And Aww. I was like, 
I, you were on the pod. I don't know your parents' name. If you have any siblings, I've never had dinner with you. I was having this conversation with my wife. And I was like, not sure if this person is actually a good friend of ours. We've seen them 10 times, you know, at social events, but I don't know their parents' name. I don't know their siblings. Uh, I don't know how they met. Never had dinner one on one with them. Therefore, they're not like friends, friends, like yeah, they're yeah. associates or they're acquaintances, acquaintances, like, so anyway, uh, Ryan, Ryan was like, I thought we were friends. And I was like, are we friends? Really? Oh, man. Oh, man. I don't oh, man. know about that. Or it's something similar to that. Like, anyway, Ryan uh, is still on his jihad. And he's Senior off Silicon of his Valley correspondent, Ryan Breslow, reporting today <laughs> with reporting from the field. <laughs> his investigative journalist, Ryan Breslow, uh, dancing like a fool on psychedelics. <laughs> joking so awesome joking this is so um awesome. he went uh he he i guess he came up with a new term shadow fired mm -hmm. that the instacart founder was shadow fired i guess is his claim um he was shadow, shadow fired, fired was uh that was me <gasps> okay that sorry nick. Oh, producer nick came up with this term shadow fired fantastic shadow i like I don't shadow misattribute to ryan you know okay very good Nick's thank like, you also and he's like i would also like my amazing. flowers you mm -hmm. get your flowers i gave you amazing. flowers for sasso i gave you flowers for shadow fire very good um so um breslow hot off his creative writing class <laughs> in all his free time <laughs> and his triumphant victory um just beating dom into Over submission mm -hmm. uh, and then telling him he would back his next company <laughs> Oh my god, he's a master troll. He really master is a master troll, troll. creative writer, poster, and investigative journalist said um, he now compares Sequoia to the mafia, mm -hmm. uh, Don, and he accused Sequoia of axing the Instacart CEO to pave the way for an IPO mm -hmm. as a way to return monies to their LPs. This thing is so unbelievably ridiculous, but I guess we have to go through it because, yeah um so he doesn't appear to have been a hundred percent wrong about fast so okay sure that's probably you know. true yeah um yeah. so yeah i mean i a lot of times when we know this as journalists having both been journalists you know you're starting to triangulate on a story and there could be some things that are true and then things you're filling in or your mind fills in right you know reasonably but that are not true um, he said that they were able to oust the former CEO by hiring Instacart's former CFO, Ravi Gupta, in 2019 to conspire against the founder and CEO, uh, Apoor Rav. Meta. Meta, yes, I've met mm -hmm. him before. Um, so Gupta, I guess the former CFO, became a partner at Sequoia. This is their his claim. Sequoia obviously led the $8.5 million Series A in Instacart in 2013. So they have a nice chunk of the company. And, uh, and he basically says, if you hit the, the gist of the accusation is that Sequoia was like, we need a liquidity event and yep. that Instacart is a good option because the others are continuing to grow really incredibly fast. Instacart's growing fine, uh, or, you know, really quickly. So we should push them toward an IPO and, uh, and maybe Apurva Meta did not want that IPO. And so the idea here again, according to the Twitter thread, is that by bringing in this CFO who really knew all the dirt, they were able to build a pressure campaign against Meta and, uh, or Meta and push him out and sort of say like, oh, he had managerial chaos. And, you know, mm. he's like, the, the reasons are, are pretty weak, why they ousted him. Okay. And so there's two pieces. CEO. There's yeah. two huge flaws here. Number one, Sequoia has been very Truth. clear that they're holding their positions in public companies as part of the new Sequoia. They're not trying to liquidate their um, stuff. So this idea that Sequoia needs liquidity, liquidity is farcical. Mm -hmm. So that okay. is like, so even if they did oust the CEO, or the CEO was fired for performance, whatever, however you want to frame that, right? Because we're, we're talking about how you frame the CEO leaving. Yep. Was, did they, were they fired? For performance, did they collaborate on it because they weren't doing a good job and they felt like they hit their top? But if you look at the revenue numbers for the company, mm -hmm. maybe you could read the last three years revenue numbers. Do you have those handy there? Or can somebody pull those up? Because he did put the screenshots of it. And I think the issue with Instacart was Whole Foods got bought. Mm -hmm. They had a crazy dependency on that. Uber Eats, Postmates start doing grocery. Amazon starts getting heavy into grocery. And the founder, um, you know, I think had challenges 
around massive competition and maybe the company didn't rise to that occasion might yeah. be the issue here. And again, I don't have in I, I'm associated with Sequoia as well. I don't have inside information on this just to super be clear before I get reaggregated on this. Right. But here's the here are the numbers, right? The and numbers. let's take into account the fact that these numbers occurred during a pandemic when everybody was ordering everything. So in 2019, Instacart uh, made $735 million. 2020, one and a half billion. Boom, right? Amazing so they growth. double year over year during they the pandemic makes double. a lot of sense. And year before that, they were up 50% roughly. And they were growing 50% a year, it looks like. But then from uh, 2020 to 2021, which is again, still during a pandemic when yeah. you would assume that a lot of people had built habits around grocery ordering, all of a sudden, revenue slows dramatically. 1.5 billion yeah. to 1.8 billion. Yeah, they grow 20%. Yeah. 20%. And the valuation got crazy. It was like 39 billion at the peak, and it recently went down to 24 billion. I think that move was so that they could give employees stock options. Um, so, but I think that this is made up nonsense, uh, to be totally honest. Uh, the only person who really knows, I guess, is the board of mm -hmm. why he left. But, um, yeah, I have no idea. And I'll, and as a friend of mine pointed out, it's the new CEO that was brought in, one of, of Breslow's claims that the, the new CEO doesn't know anything about logistics. What the new CEO does know, though, evidently is advertising, right? And mm -hmm. how to make money <laughs> on digital products. So yes. there's value in that. The Instacart product itself, like from a design and usability perspective, completely stalled. Yeah, nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. Zero has all. changed. I, I mean, I have this experience. I use Good Eggs. I use Uber Eats now. I use DoorDash uh, and Amazon. Mm -hmm. And they keep adding better and better features. And let's face it, Instacart is the same exact product. And it's not perfect. I mean, it, the amount of items Instacart gets wrong per order is what for you? Two out of 10, one out of 10. Yeah, I mean, it depends on the day, but it's always something. There's never it's always something. There's never a perfect order. I did have a perfect order yesterday. I rarely use oh. it anymore, too, because at some point you actually can't continue to justify paying a like 40% premium. It's kind of expensive. I mean, I, you spend 40 yeah. to 50% between the service fee and like, I kind of think there's a gas fee now and then the markup on the groceries and then the tip. It I'm depends on the size of the order. Again. If you're doing a $200 order, then it goes down to maybe what would it be 20 percent 40 bucks to deliver it yeah so for 200 it's 20 percent if you're doing 100 it's 40 percent, right so it i think it's the order size that order is, the size key. is what they is how they calculate the tip yeah but i'm just saying like there's a markup on the groceries right like which isn't used to be a lot more transparent and like ah. they would tell you which stores had a markup and which stores didn't and now i'm assuming that they all do because they don't say it anymore but so the groceries mm. cost more already to order from Instacart. Yeah. And there's a service fee and there's a tip and there's a, and so you like literally will end up paying 50% more than what you would have paid if you went to the store. That's bonkers. Yeah. It's bonkers. It's yeah. just not. So I think there are a lot of reasons. A lot of headwinds. Um, why this that. might have happened. And then, but then of course, obviously Twitter was just in love with the tweet thread. Neil Kosla tweeting, don't take money from Sequoia is one of the hotter takes I've seen. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I, so I mean, just to recap Ryan Breslow's <laughs> advice for founders, don't go to YC. Don't take money from all the top venture firms and create a block against your competitors and win. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, yeah, uh -huh. I mean, again, he did not appear to be 100% wrong about fast. No. So who knows, right? But even he was like, to be clear, I don't know. I've just heard this from people and I don't know if it's true at all. And then Eric Newcomer from Bloomberg, who's just so great. Uh, and you, I saw you responded to him said, you know, Silicon Valley loathes the tech press until it realizes that anonymously sourced stories get replaced with an endless stream of Ryan Breslow's unhinged speculative tweet storms. <laughs> I mean, it falls into the category of something TechCrunch was doing, which I disagreed with at the time. And I told the founder uh, in the early days, which is they dubbed process journalism. And I was like, what's process journalism? Like, oh, it's what Valley Wag and TechCrunch do. We just publish something that comes into the tip line. And then we let the entire audience read it and then ask them if it's true. And I was like, are you guys deranged? Like, that's not process journalism. That's like slander or just not doing any work. And they're like, yeah, well, we could call people. They're just going to not give us a comment. So we might as well just float the thing. We've heard. And th that's what they that's what a lot of places did. You can basically say the story now is. Mm -hmm. I everybody's talking about this rumor. Yeah. So like, 
Is that really journalism to say like, everybody's saying that this person is in the closet? I mean, this is what Gawker did. They just took people who were, instead of saying they were outing somebody, they just said, everybody's talking about Anderson Cooper. Everybody's talking about Tim Cook. This is when they were both in the closet. And we're reporting on the rumor. It was like, really? Like, okay, fine. You know, just a low level of journalism. I don't know how you feel about it. I think that the um, New York Times is worried that 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 some of that is starting to happen to their journalism. Because I will I will say on the plus side, when I was there, there was none of that. And at one point I was even like, what about like, I think this might be a story. And what if we sort of like put out a blog post and to see if it was a story? And it was like, no No way. We 100% do don't do that. And I appreciated too in uh, the dropout watching how specific, how careful, you know, like how yes. realistic that portrayal was of an editor who's like, I'm sorry, it sucks. I know you want to go with this, but you cannot because you don't have get it. this person on the record, get the story. And, and yeah, I did and not off the record on right, the record on yeah. the record. And I did appreciate that in my time at the times that there was none. And I appreciate mm-hmm. that about like, for example, here, right? We're like, we do diligence a certain way. That's the deal. If, no if somebody shortcuts. doesn't want to participate in diligence, it tells you everything you need to know. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you don't want to have a board and you've raised $10 million, and you don't want to have like insurance or have a board or have like, if you don't want to run the company professionally, like, yeah. why would you raise money for a company then? Like, that's kind of the idea here is to do that. We, you know, we have so much more to talk about. Just to give you a preview of tomorrow's show. Mm-hmm. Uh, things we didn't get to on the docket today. Uh <laughs> Bloomberg sources, there's a there's beta versions of Apple's iOS 16 going around that have some references to mixed reality headsets. We'll talk about that tomorrow. Um, and uh, Epic, we're going to talk about Epic raising a bunch Epic of money, a $31 money. billion dollar valuation, why they might be doing that. And we might Peter, get to the Peter yeah. Thiel Bitcoin speech. We have to get to the Peter Thiel we Bitcoin speech, but it's, a, it's just so much show that <sighs> we can't. So we'll see you all on tomorrow's show. We're also going to be interviewing the CEO of WorldCoin for an episode that I think will drop on Wednesday or Thursday. So we got a lot of great show this week, this week uh, in startups.com, youtube.com slash this week in and uh, do a search for this week in startups Australia if you want to uh, listen to Mark Pesci's version of this show from down under I was the first guest and uh, give him a subscribe and a like and a, a review. It's a great interview a great human being and uh, he's on his 10th season the all in summit is sold out. Gave uh, 250 tickets to uh, on scholarships, uh, a lot of underrepresented founders, and uh, we got the gender, we got the gender balance in the audience worked out. <laughs> Looking pretty dark there for a minute. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to go to this conference with so many dudes. I was like, the 90% percent dudes? No, thank you. But you Good were pleased you to know it's- at that. Two out of it's gonna yeah we we're we're almost at forty percent female that's that that would be a good goal I mean I, when's the last time we went to a tech conference that was forty percent female yeah nope not doesn't exist right doesn't exist twenty percent thirty percent I guess would be the norm like in that range I think I guess yeah what it, well, I don't say normal is the average right um, normal would be yeah no know. I think forty percent is good now, we, if, if we can get, get to forty percent if you can get that speaker yeah, I got the speakers the I got the speaker problem worked out um, but you're not your insights were not your private insights to me were not incorrect I'll just leave it at that mm-hmm. let's just say there might be some besties who people want to be interviewed by less than other besties and so it becomes a little bit of a, a challenge sometimes it, you know in these polarizing times it's just you know some people just don't want to even participate in an event where people have a difference of opinion than them, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All right. We will see you on the Sweden Startups tomorrow. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> hey, everyone. Producer Nick here. I want to tell you about the SaaS Syndicate. If you're a founder of a SaaS company with a product and market, our investment team wants to talk to you. Head over to thesyndicate.com slash SaaS, S-A-A-S, to apply to raise from the SaaS syndicate. And you can join Jason's syndicate of over 9,000 accredited investors at thesyndicate.com. Producer Justin here. Know a cool startup? Check out openscouting.com, where anyone can refer a startup to our investment team here at launch. Even if you don't know the founder, if you're the first to flag a company for us and we decide to invest, you'll get 5K in cash or 10% of our carry. Hey everybody, producer Rachel here. 
Are you an early stage startup that has product and market, some traction, and are looking to raise at least $500,000? Apply today to Remote Demo Day for your chance to pitch to over 9,000 investors in Jason's syndicate. Submit your application at remotedemoday.com. Our next event is on April 27th. And if you want to learn how to invest in startups from the world's greatest angel investor, and no, we're not talking about Chris Saka, then head to angel.university to apply. The four-hour workshop costs $300 and all proceeds are donated to charity. To date, we've donated over $175,000 to various charities and you can see the full list at angel.university slash charity. 